0: Hi, everyone my name is jonathan Fries, and you are listening to what the
1: flock
0: where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage people don't come to church anymore i'm the senior pastor of music of life church appleton and i'm joined by the senior pastor of music of life church kimberly pastor
2: joel swikowski
0: Hello. what's happening how are oh, you doing
2: i'm doing great i'm i'm looking forward to this i feel like this episode pairs well with the one we did last week and uh yeah it's making more progress this is amazing awesome today's topic is
0: repentance yes would you please give us some background on this topic pastor
2: joel repentance is a foundational christian principle. Yes sir. But we talked about that last last week we fundamental christianity is take direction from god, confess and repent when you don't. Love that. Now we're on to repentance. So, repentance historically commonly defined as to turn the other way. We saw that confession is stopping going in the wrong direction and is only the first step in the right way to responding to doing something wrong we're actually going to see that the definition of turning the other way the definition of repentance means to also make progress in the opposite direction
0: nice so how have people been hurt by this in the church
2: The concept, the principle of repentance has turned into a say. If a person says sorry, if a person apologizes, if a person asks for forgiveness, if a person feels bad, they've repented. And this has led to us not having an objective measure for how to make up for sin. Hmm. Or even an objective measure for what it means to be a Christian. So, People who do something wrong or sin are not making progress towards making up for that wrongdoing. They're simply stating, I don't want to do the wrong anymore. I'm willing to go in the opposite direction. But they don't actually do anything. So repentance has turned into empty promises.
0: Wow. And so when you're talking about objective measure, you're saying like a proof We've talked about this before, but a proof outside of yourself that basically shows other people what you believe, something that you can point to about what you believe.
2: Yeah. I I like the way you worded that a proof outside of yourself. So that's, so it's a proof that's objective, right? Objective being it would have to be outside of that, outside of that person. Or maybe another way to clarify that too is. It's not based on a feeling.
1: Mm.
2: I'm not a Christian because I feel like I am. You're not a Christian because I feel like you are. You're right. not not a Christian because I feel like you aren't. <laughs> Those are measures that are inobjective or unobjective.
0: Unobjective.
2: Those are unobjective measures. It's a measure or a proof within myself based on a feeling. That's not objective. Nice. What we're saying is, what's the measure for what it means to be a Christian? Well, I guess if a person says they feel bad, that's enough. Nice. Yeah, it isn't.
0: Right. So how do they support that with the Bible?
2: Well, I could use 1 John 1, 9 to support this. I'd say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, Pastor Jonathan, all it says here is to confess. Hmm. The issue is a lot what we learned in the last episode with Bonhoeffer is still going on here. So this strict side is really, I have confessed and repented to Christ.
0: Mm.
2: I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian. I repent by saying I'm wrong or even merely apologizing. And we never bring it up again. You know what? Even the proof that the repentance has happened, we don't talk about it. Mm. It's gone, right? My sins are as far as from the east as to the west. God doesn't remember my sins. Why are you bringing them up? Hmm. Proof of repentance has actually turned into this. We don't talk about it anymore.
0: Wow. So if someone were to come to me with that belief, I've confessed and repented to Christ, or, you know, uh, repenting is saying I'm wrong. How would I defend myself against these people what's the actual issue going on
2: so we'll bring up the measure again right I, yeah. I would ask that person what's your measure for being a christian then how can you tell you know we talked a lot last episode about determining whether or not a person is an unbeliever or a believer not judging it but me coming to a conclusion based on how i treat them or how i help that person mm-hmm. what we're really doing there is we need to have a measure then We need to have a, and you know what? We all do have a measure. Nice. The issue is whether or not it's objective. That's a great point. That is a great point. And, And this is really what we're getting into with this episode is the church doesn't have an objective measure. We all have a measure. That measure has turned into how I feel about that person, which is so flawed because as we know, so mu- so many of the interactions we have with other believers is uncomfortable and different, and I'm being shown where I'm wrong, and those things. If I don't like the way it feels, I may be, I may have a measure for an a believer that is actually should be the measure for an unbeliever, hmm. and vice versa. I may be thinking people aren't Christian when they're the most Christian people in my life. Because these people make me feel weird inside when they tell me things I'm doing wrong, when they confront me. Hmm. And also
0: it, and that, you know, that feeling like we've said in early podcasts is it starts to be, okay, so what is my measure? What is my proof that someone's a Christian? They don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't swear. They go to church. They tithe all of our old, older, older episodes. If you yep. do these things, that's what I'm measuring. Yep. Or if you you know, you read your Bible, you set, you know, you, you speak the deity of Jesus, you know, yep. to everyone, you hand out tracks, whatever. And it becomes based upon appearance. Yep.
2: That oh, is, that's good. That's
0: becoming people's objective measure. What's the proof outside of myself is I see you not doing these things and then going to church, reading
2: your Bible, all of that which is why it's so important to have the right doctrine behind all this stuff, because we, as, as humans, we do see the physical, we do see the effects and we need to have the right doctrine so that we can correctly analyze and interpret those effects, man. So really that's, yeah. So I would ask this person, man, that's good. What's your measure? For being a Christian, what's it mean to be a Christian to you? How can you tell whether or not somebody's a believer? The above passage, 1 John 1, 9, Mm -hmm. is written to Christians who are sinning against God. What would the sin be? Not doing what God told them to do. So the repentance is that the person would continue to be led by God. Which is what? An action. Mm. These people aren't just saying they're wrong, their actions are proving. Why? Because their actions, their behavior changes and goes the opposite direction than what it was. So that that covered sinning against God, right? So here's you know, maybe where Bonhoeffer's getting his stuff from. You know, first John 1 9, he's maybe even recognizing the awesome things he wrote in his life together book, because he's seeing people are using verses like first John one, nine to get out from under having to confess their sin to a brother. Hmm. But What about when I do sin against another person? Or if I'm sinned against by a brother. Nice. Luke 17 three says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Rebuke means you ought to confront a believer who sins against you. And notice here in Luke 17.3, this is a really important verse. Because it shows us that we only forgive the believer if he repents. So we're seeing even further how far we are away from God's doctrine when we see this apologize and ask for forgiveness perspective cuz really it's up to the person who is sinned against on when they ought to based on if the person repented so we're going to we're going to do a deep dive in forgiveness in the next episode but notice repentance is more important than confession repentance implies you have stopped doing the wrong And you are making progress in the opposite direction. So I can make up for a wrongdoing without confessing, which shows that repentance would be the ultimate here. When it comes to unbelievers, Jesus had a different approach altogether. Mm. Matthew 5, 38 through 40 says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic away, let him have your cloak also. So here what we're seeing, the implication, the doctrine underlying these verses is that Jesus taught to instantly forgive an unbeliever who wrongs you without even confronting them. So according to Jesus, how a person asks you deal with their wrong shows whether they're a believer or not oh man so if i ask you pastor jonathan if you did something wrong to me how would you want me to handle that
0: please confront me
2: (laughs) that would be that that could be showing well it definitely would show your understanding of of what you think a believer is supposed to do in that case but Your response shows whether or not you want to be treated the way Jesus is instructing us to in his word,
0: man. And I, I I feel I've read this verse how many times, but Jesus says in 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Yeah. Right. So it's an, he's talking about the person, the person is referenced that Jesus is talking about in here. And that is an unbeliever, right? Brothers are believers. Evil people are not brothers. They're not
2: believers. So what are we doing here? Are we, are we, or how often is the church doing this? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You know what Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Are we applying that to believers?
0: Right. So we're taking that out of context and we're basically saying, that person is evil. No, put it, put that person if you're going to use that, who's the subject? Right. Yikes. Yeah. So so the strict side is repentance is saying I'm wrong. I never bring it up again. Right. That's 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 the the strict side going on right now. So I want to get into the loose side. But Before we do that, let's take a call from, (laughs) look at that, Pastor Richard Tater from McMillan, Alabama, the largest church in McMillan, Alabama. We're having a great time, and I will go ahead and put Pastor Dick on the line. You're on the line, Pastor Dick.
1: Oh, yes. Hello, uh, Pastor Joe, Pastor Jonathan. This is Pastor Richard Tater from McMillan, Alabama. Confession and repentance are two different acts. Repentance ought to repair the wrong so everyone feels good about the wrong. You know, for decades, I was taught that I do not need to repent to people for the wrongs that I did to them because God already knew that I was going to sin. And he paid for it on the cross before I was born, y'all. However, both of y'all taught me how that was a man-made doctrine.
2: Wow. Thanks. Well, thanks for the call, Pastor Tater. It's great to hear from you. You sound great today. Oh, well, thank you, Pastor Joel. I do appreciate that.
1: I have to tell you that the first lesson of restoration was so good. It cured me of my... uh, It (sighs) cured... let's just call it what it was, depression. I was depressed, and you laborers, that's right, you laborers have restored me from being distressed and scattered, I am truly blessed and grateful. I am ready for lesson two, and I would like to take mother through restoration. Would that be okay?
0: Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. The best way to learn something is to teach it, Pastor Richard Tater.
1: Wait, was my taking restoration my repentance to both of you?
2: Yes, it was an action that has repaired how we look at when you wronged us. We actually think back on it with a good emotion. And your willingness to talk about it is proof you were truly sorry about what you did and said.
1: woo gentlemen, for the first time in decades, this old preacher has hope for the future. Thank you. God bless you both. This was my favorite podcast to hate. God bless.
0: Okay, thank you for the call, Pastor Richard Tater. That was
2: a blast. Wow. He's over his depression and he even was bold enough to just name it, too, right? Right. But we we've seen this multiple times with people who've go who go through the restoration process. And he also brought up a great point which we talked earlier in the episode about how these people like proof of repentance is we don't talk about it anymore. He went further than that. He actually was like, you know, made this point that people who truly repent are willing to talk about the wrong they did because they actually have a good emotion to it due to the repair that happened.
0: My goodness. Pastor Richard is becoming my hero. Pastor Joel. Yeah. He's dropping
2: doctrine bombs now.
0: Yeah. Just incredible how, with all of his experience being a pastor, just getting the right doctrine is just, man, this guy's on fire.
2: Right. So he does. He has plenty of experience. Yeah. He's got a ton of, we, we even see he's got a ton of Bible. Yeah. And it's like, what, you just tweak a couple things in his foundation and this guy, he's not a novice.
0: No, not he at is, all.
2: He has guns ablazing, and he is just, he's. I imagine McMillan, Alabama is just getting changed. Oh, that
0: would be amazing. I could all, I could totally see that. So what's the other side of the argument, Pastor Joel? So let's go to the, let's talk about the loose side.
2: Yeah. So the loose side is really this not bringing it up anymore. So Mm. again, when, when I'm on the loose side, it puts all the responsibility on the people I'm interacting with. Mm -hmm. So, If I do something wrong, you're supposed to forgive me and not humiliate me, meaning you don't bring it up.
1: Hmm.
2: So that's really the loose side. I have no responsibility. It's all on you. Don't humiliate me.
0: Wow. So how have people been hurt by that perspective?
2: Well, this is something that you and I have had experience with for years. We actually years and years and years ago when we were a home church. Mm hmm we used to call this concept, the reset button. That's right. So many of the people we had interact with, including in the church, including in other churches, including pastors and leaders in the church, when something does go wrong, you know what? It's almost like if we wait long enough, maybe we'll forget and we can move past it. If you do bring it up, it's almost like, let me appeal to your emotions Mm -hmm. and just say, you know what? Yep. That, that situation was really bad. It shouldn't have happened. Let's move past it, right? Can And that's really this, this loose side is really the manifestation of what everybody really wants through this whole apology and, and asking for forgiveness thing. This really proves out when people are focused on apologies and asking for forgiveness in place of confession and repentance... And they're unwilling to see how confession and repentance is the right way. It tends to be because the people are fighting for the reset button. Mm. I want to do whatever I need to do right now so we can move past this and never talk about it again. Why? Because when you bring it up, I'm humiliated.
1: Mm.
0: So if someone's trying to hit the reset button towards me, what are some ways that I can address that situation with them?
2: Well, you can ask that person to the flipping the flipping the pronouns type question, right? And ask them. Yeah. So have you given up all your ill feelings towards others who've wronged you? Hmm. Like you want me to press the reset button and not bring up the things that you've done wrong to me. Have you done that same thing to the people who've wronged you? Hmm. Do you Never bring up the wrongs that happened to you ever again. It's really what it is. You know, it's speaking to that person's unconscious brain. It's flipping it so that hopefully this person recognizes they're holding everybody else to a higher standard than they're holding themselves to. And we've seen that demanding others to do something you don't do or holding others to a standard you don't hold yourself to is hypocrisy it is a contradiction
0: mm-hmm.
2: and when i live with contradictions it leads to depression also i could ask what's your definition of forgiveness nice which we've been throwing that word around a lot in the last couple of topics right yeah apologize and ask for forgiveness apologize and ask for forgiveness yep Really, say you're sorry and let's hit the reset button. Hmm. You know what? I'll say I'm sorry and I'll ask you, you're not going to do anything in response to this anymore, right? You've forgiven me. Well, what does forgiveness mean? We'll cover that in the next episode. We've been throwing that word around a lot. Yeah. And that word is being used in a flawed manner. And there is a specific definition to it that when we when we understand God's view of forgiveness, it really helps people start making progress. So when this
0: topic gets brought up in the church about repentance, Pastor Joel, how do you see people respond to it? What are your thoughts?
2: I thought confession and apologies was uncomfortable. This is really a step deeper because- Yes, it is this really is where the rubber meets the road as far as what it means to be a Christian.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, we can even look at, we'll get into salvation in the future too, but what's it mean to even be a Christian? I'm really confessing. it's my born again experience is really me confessing and repenting to God. Maybe for the first time, right? So when I see this flawed view of repentance going on in the church, it's very alarming because this, Topic in particular makes me wonder how many people in the church are actually believers. Mm. But I see these three different categories, right? There's the people I feel sorry for, and these are people who think they're Christians, who believe it, who feel it, but are operating according to man made doctrine, flawed man made doctrine. And they're unwilling to hear another perspective. About the fundamentals of Christianity. And that's really where the big issue is there. That they're not willing to hear. So these people. Hold others to a higher standard. Than they hold themselves to. And. Oftentimes leading to depression. They want others to forget. How they've been wronged. But they won't forget. How others have wronged them. Hmm. There's the people we understand. Why they do what they do. These are the people who they think they're Christians, but they're operating according to flawed man-made doctrine. And they may have even left the church because they know the method of dealing with how people have wronged them. Isn't working yet. They don't know the answer. We see oftentimes in this middle category of people that we understand it. It's often people who leave the church because they're fed up Mm. with there being no power behind what's being taught because the power of God's word is being replaced by man-made doctrine. And then there's the people we're impressed with. These are people simply stated they admit when they're wrong and they do what they can to make up for it.
0: Wow. So what is our ultimate answer for repentance? Pastor Joel. What's the conjunctive answer?
2: The ultimate conjunctive answer is repentance is making up for the wrongdoing. Nice. And I'll even add this. What, what would be the measure of making up for it? To the point where it's better than before the wrongdoing. Nice. Repentance would make it better than it was before the sin. To the point where everyone involved is happy that it happened, and everyone involved is not only willing to but wants to talk about it. Wow, and we saw Pastor Tater actually bring that point up in his call. And this is very, you know, we go from the measure of repentance is we don't talk about it anymore because it's gone that sin is over with to know the true measure of repentance is that we want to talk about it, not only because we feel good about it, but because every time you and me talk about the repentance that happened between us, if other people are around, it's a testimony, right? So pastor Tater said this, and this doctrine runs throughout the Bible in the old Testament. If you wrong someone, You had to make up for it by giving them back something more. So basically someone could complain to others about you taking from them, but the others would say, wait a minute. Didn't he give you back more? Didn't you end up ahead? Oh, nice. Oh, this guy took one of my donkeys. Didn't he give you two in return? Right. Why are you complaining? Right. And wouldn't we want to talk about, you know, and, Joe down the road stole a donkey from me last year, but you know what? Six months ago, he gave me two back. How about that? Joe's amazing. Like, yeah, yes, like that guy knows how to handle when he's wrong. So, yep. what we see here is repentance fixes the damage. Hmm. Repentance is to turn, right? To turn the opposite direction, to make and it's not just turning, though. It's not just pivoting your body 180 degrees it's also making progress after you've turned so repentance is more important than confession Mm. because even if i don't confess repenting makes up for the wrong and if it's done the right way it attaches a good emotion to the wrong
0: thank you pastor joel this has been what the flock thinks for listening, everyone. And remember,
1: if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.